0: and maybe a fancy dinner too. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you.
1: What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy and delicious breads, buns and tortillas? These ultra low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at hero.co.
0: And Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeu. Hello, and welcome back to another live edition of the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simeu, and I'm delighted to say that I'm joined by a very very special guest the head honcho of the High <laughs> podcast sophie nicolau joins me sophie how are you i know it's a lot earlier where you are at the moment so uh, i was gonna ask you how your day's been but it's just starting. but how are you in
1: general new day blank canvas let's paint pictures let's tell stories as i say thanks for having me harry delightful to be here i was just having a giggle at harvey's comment in chat saying is this greek time so uh, (laughs)
0: standard standard. that's just the way we roll no what it is with greeks right we we set a time to do something but we've got to have like a a download of our lives over the last however long it's been since we last spoke before we can do anything new that's just the way it works um obviously you've got to make sure you load it up with a coffee as well these are the important things in life um better late than never and all there you go look at that look at that (laughs) look at that <laughs> all the best things in life are worth waiting for as they say they are
1: the uh, other thing about greek look. people harry and i'm sure other cultures too um is when you're trying to leave someone's house and say goodbye you need to factor in a good half an hour minimum if you need to be somewhere else and you're gonna leave because family never lets you leave you gotta add it at you, a half an hour buffer is that fair is that fair maybe in order to more. leave someone's house
0: maybe even more i've got one particular um sort of friend and it, sort of him and his wife whenever we go around to see them we will be trying to leave for probably two hours <laughs> so if we say i oh, will be we'll be back by like midnight it will be 2 a.m and it's it just it's yeah you can't get out of it it's just oh. the way it goes every time you're about to leave someone comes up with a juicy conversation and you got to sit back down it's just the way it goes um but anyway we're here to talk all things arsenal as always And um, the question I've put in the title is, can Arsenal win the Premier League? Now, I want to make it clear from the outset, this is not because I am sitting here saying that Arsenal can win the Premier League, but just sort of going around, sort of working in various different places over the last, I would say probably two to three weeks now, this has been a really sort of common question that I faced. And I feel like people are trying to, almost get it out of me, almost like lure it out of me or want me to say, yeah, we can win the league so that then when we don't, if we don't, there'll be, uh, you know, some sort of angle from which to bash an Arsenal side that are punching above their weight right now, in my opinion, that are playing Mm -hmm. some incredible football um, that look as though they are the closest in terms of competition for Manchester City at this moment in time. But we all know, Soph, we've all been watching football long enough to know that things can change. Um, I mean, in terms of a percentage, how much would you give Arsenal hope of winning the (laughs) Premier League? I mean, I'm still well below 50. I don't know about you.
1: Well, look, going into anything, you've got a 50-50 chance. If I play darts with you tonight, I've got a 50% chance of winning, right? Um, Although my finishing on the doubles, Harry, you might be in trouble. Uh, (laughs) Arsenal, however, have Manchester City's juggernaut ahead of them. And even without Haaland... City would probably be the favourites this season. I like the talk that we're in the conversation because it's been so long. I think the media side of the question being asked is a narrative maybe where if we do fail somehow, they'll be able to beat us with that brush, right? Um, I I think because Liverpool... Have we're 11 points ahead of Liverpool, which is insane. If you'd have said that to me at the beginning of the season, I'd have said you're a crazy man. But we we could go 14 points ahead of Liverpool and it's October. I mean They'd that's have a craziness. game in hand,
0: but it's still mad.
1: And I think that's the part that is difficult for us Arsenal fans to allow ourselves permission to even start thinking about that. You raise a really good point in that anything can change quickly. And look how quickly things changed for us last season. With not as strong a squad, we were in a position to potentially finish for a Champions League spot, Harry, and three injuries, and we were done. I mean, I would say the wheels started coming off at that Crystal Palace game, but we couldn't recover not having Tierney, we couldn't recover not having Tommy, and we couldn't recover not having Thomas Partey. And with the World Cup sandwiched in the middle, with the fact that we've got a really good starting eleven. And not as strong a squad as we want, I would say our chances aren't great, but this is the time to keep building on that, so we do have a squad that is going to be able to kind of be in a position to challenge. I always said at the beginning of this season and last season, I just want us to compete again, and then I want us to be I want us to be consistent, then compete, and then we can challenge. Right now, I think we're in the competing phase for me um and i've definitely seen you know the process to progress and i think we just need to keep building on that if yeah, he wins the I, yeah. if he wins the premier league i think i said something crazy when i had you guys on the show maybe if he wins the premier league with this team and with manchester city's team the way it is having someone like Harnan, i put it up there as great as, as great as an achievement as 89 and the invincibles And I know a lot of people thought I was crazy when I said that. But I think because Arsenal have been in the dirt and people still don't respect us, if he were to pull that off, hats off to the dude. I mean, uh, everyone will be eating crow. Absolutely,
0: absolutely. I mean, for me, I look at at this and, you know, again, the reason this conversation's come up and the reason I wanted to do a show sort of focused around it was I was talking to a good friend of mine, colleague, um, Rory Jennings, a few weeks ago. And he he mentioned, yeah, he he mentioned something um, about Arsenal winning the league. And then I saw a recent video that he did and he said, why do Arsenal fans sing on our way to the Champions League? Why aren't they singing on the way to the (laughs) league? Like, where is the standards? Why isn't a club of Arsenal's size and stature, um, you know, not aspiring to achieve more? And, And my answer was because nobody knows where we're at more than we do. Nobody understands where Arsenal are at you know, sort of more deeply than we as fans that follow the club week in, week out. We know that there are still a couple of positions in that team that if we were to lose players, I mean, for me, the big two are Thomas Partey's position. You lose Thomas Partey, the drop-off is significant. I went as far last week as saying that he probably makes us 20, 25% better as a team just by being in there. He, He makes that much of a difference. And then you look at Gabriel Jesus, another incredibly important player, who would be replaced in the event he picked up an injury by Eddie Nketiah, but that standard is not the same. So, you know, we're still a couple of injuries away from from being up shit street. Plus, you add into that, Manchester City are incredible, uh, have been for a while now, and Erling Haaland has come in and elevated that attack of theirs to a whole new level I didn't even think was possible. Someone put a comment in earlier on. Uh, where was it? It was a really good comment. Something along the lines of <laughs> if somebody turned off the generator that powers at uh, Erling Haaland, maybe we've, got, maybe we've got a chance. And it's so true. It's so true. <laughs> look, um, Jid says, why do we act like we are the only team that is two injuries away from a disaster? That is we're the not. same with most of the big squads. Yeah, we're not, we're not the only team. I know that. You look at Liverpool only a couple of years ago and what happened to them when they lost a couple of centre-halves and how they struggled to recover from that. I'm not saying we're the only team in that position, but if I was a supporter of one of those other clubs, I'd say exactly the same thing because we're only X amount of games into the season. We're not far enough in. Mm -hmm. And you've got to factor in, so the World Cup. I mean, what kind of an impact could that potentially have?
1: By the way, your generator will be uh, recharging for a month while everyone else is going to the World Cup, which is crazy. Um, To answer this question real quick, a lot of my opposing fan friends say the same thing. I just think we get stuck in our bubble a lot of the time and don't realise that some of the stuff that's going on in our Arsenal universe is happening in other team universes as well. I just want to go back to Rory's comment because I find that really interesting. Again, I think it's a case of we've seen the shoe fall off so often that we don't want to give ourselves permission to dream. Now, deep down inside, I think we all are having that dream, but we just don't want to vocalize it. And when you were sold a slogan that said, trust the process, I think fans have bought into that in the sense that it's one step at a time, right? So finishing top four again is the next milestone for Arsenal. You know, talk of winning the league might be premature. We're there, we're top of the league, whether we stay there or not is another, you know, conversation altogether. But I think the reason why we do things the way we're doing them is because it's part of that process, which I think a lot of fans have bought into. I mean, I would love for us to win the Europa League. That would be incredible. And that's a surefire way back into the Champions League. We haven't won a European trophy since George Graham's time when Kev was playing. And the same with the League Cup. So I think. Creating a winning culture is important. The domestic trophies help with that. Arteta did that early, but this is a totally different team now. So I want him to get a taste of winning. Whether that's the Premier League or not, I don't, you know, I don't think so. But there are other opportunities to win and continue to build on those little nuggets. It's like that famous book, Who Stole My Cheese? Or it's like this one piece of cheese at a time. And I think that's what they're do what what Arteta's trying to do, and I think the fan base have bought into it mostly.
0: Yeah, for sure. And look, obviously football's about winning, right? Obviously it's about winning trophies and, mm. and yeah. getting all the accolades and that's ultimately what you're in it for, right? But also entertainment is important. For me as a fan personally, um you know, we've we had our disagreements on on Unai Emery and one of the the big problems I had with Unai Emery was that during that period I didn't enjoy watching Arsenal. It was probably the least enjoyment I've had as an Arsenal fan in that I didn't really believe in it. And I struggled with some of it. And even if the results come the end of the season, and I'm not talking like, the top four is a must, right? We have to mm-hmm. we have to achieve that. But even if we were to finish fourth, you know, and just about get over the line, if we continue to play the way we're playing and I continue to feel this invested and this attached and connected to my team, I, I think I'm okay with that. Like, I, I kind of place a lot more value on that than maybe other people do in mm. that I want to enjoy my match day experience. I want to be going there like we did in, in the Wenger days, knowing that at the very least we were going to see Arsenal have a go at somebody, give it a crack and and all of that stuff. That means so much to me. And, and to be doing it seemingly the right way now, I think only adds to the feel-good factor around the club. I mean, if we were playing like Spurs and we were in our position sitting at the top of the league, it would be enjoyable but would you get as much satisfaction out of it as you're currently getting? I don't think I would.
1: And Spurs fans aren't either. If you hear them on talk radio over the last couple of days, the meltdown is, you know, in flux. Antonio Conte's comments, I think it was at the presser today, Harry, about Doherty, sharp, mm. very sharp. Yeah. Strange though, isn't it? Throwing your prayers under the bus like that makes no sense. Very, which makes me wonder if, you know, the old lady's been on the phone and... You know, I mean, this is what happens with uh, Antonio Conte. You know, you get a bad loss and the, that Italian passion comes out of him. And he's being cutthroat, but maybe honest in, in his presser. But their fans do not like that football. They never liked it under Mourinho. Um, be careful what you wish for. You know, Pochettino gave him that football, took him to a final. Now, Emery, I think, had a set of players, which we we, we all know now weren't great. Arteta inherited those players. And even in his first, what, 18 months, Harry 19, the football wasn't great. The FA Cup run was fun and the football was a lot more enjoyable then, but it wasn't great football. And now he's got a team that he's able to build more in his image, take on the experiences that he's seen and was part of at Manchester City under Pep Guardiola. You're starting to see, and this is what I couldn't see, just being really candid. You know, I'm not a, I'm not a football visionary. I can't tell you what's going to happen in the future. You know, having a YouTube channel, I talk about what I see now. And I give an opinion of what my, I might see or think about what can happen down the road. And what I was seeing at that time was horrible. You know, you finish eighth, you finish eighth, you lose to the man that you replaced in the semi-final of uh, a European um, competition. But I did say also that let's see what he does when he has his own players. I didn't necessarily believe in him that much even then. And I'm being really honest about how I saw his attitude towards certain players, which concerned me. Now football can make falls out of all of us. I said this to Tony and Natalie on Talksport Breakfast at the weekend, and it certainly made a fall of me in many situations. Where our, you know, you I'm so both. happy that this, you know, I didn't say Haaland was going to be the biggest bust of you know, the summer <laughs> transfer window. Do you know what I mean? So now I'm seeing something, and I think it's okay to have an opinion about things, and for those opinions to evolve. And Although I th- we don't know what would have happened with Emery had he been given time, had he been given the players he wanted, had he been given all those things. What I like about Mikel Arteta is that he's been fully backed by the club. Adu has been a really strong anchor for him. The whole executive team has. And then when you start seeing a shift in strategy and the objectives of the club, and you see players coming in with a totally different DNA and profile, Harry, that have evolved the culture, You see a manager who's smart at marketing. He's a very smart marketer, Mikel Arteta. He's got the fans on board. He knows what to say, how to say it, and when to say it. And I think working with Pep doesn't only teach you about football and tactics. It teaches you about being uh, a leader yourself outside of what's happening on the pitch. And I think for me, the brightest thing about what I've seen from him as he's evolved is this ability to bring people together and the fans together, and I think that's why we're happy to embrace the style of football that we're playing. Because look at what's happening. Whether we, if we don't win the league, Arsenal fans won't be disappointed. I think you'll be a little bit crazy to be disappointed if we don't win the league. Be disappointed if we don't finish top four and don't win a trophy. But the league, I think, I'm more. I'll be more forgiving, you know. But this is why these things are happening. And he has a lot to do with that. And I think that's why you're enjoying the football. It's fun to go to the Emirates. It's fun to hang out with Arsenal fans. It's fun to be part of that atmosphere. And it's just fun to go to the football again. And I think that is massive. And he has a huge part to do with that, as well as the players. And of course, they do. who's helped bring them in.
0: It's even like, like when we got beat at Man United, Like obviously that wasn't fun. Like there was nothing enjoyable. About a three and a half hour drive back from Old Trafford when you just just been stuffed by United, but you still left that game with a sense of pride. Like you still left yes. that game with frustration more than anger because you'd you gone there and seen your team take the game to Manchester United, be bold, be brave. And even going into this weekend's game, the North London Derby, I was very much one of those people that was sitting there saying, I am worried about Spurs' ability on the counter-attack. Maybe there was a bit of PTSD off the back of what happened at Old Trafford, but I did feel like we should maybe tweak our system, tweak our game a little bit to try and nullify that threat on the break. And Arteta just went, F it. I'm not doing that. I'm not going to play Tierney over Zinchenko. I'm going to play Zinchenko and I'm going to tell him to get into the midfield at every single opportunity. Because if we impose ourselves and play our game, we beat this lot. And I admire that boldness and that courage that, you know, I just think it goes such a long way. Obviously, when you get it wrong and, and things don't go your way, you'll be called naive and all of those things but I just think we're moving in in such a positive sort of way at the moment and and you mentioned about Arteta being a a really good marketer I've said on this show loads of times that it feels to me like you know this whole thing about every opportunity he gets he speaks about the fans you know we Mm. felt the connection the atmosphere what he's doing is he's planting that seed in every fan's mind when they go to a game I go to games now and I walk into the Emirates and think Back to what Mikel Arteta said in the lead-up to this game. And I think, shit, my responsibility here, more than it's ever been, is to be vocal, is to be behind the team. And I think everybody feels like that. And subconsciously, with him saying that week in, week out, it, it plants a seed in you. And you've seen the
1: atmosphere. It's incredible. Mm-hmm. It really is. One, one of the things I want to be careful of, too, is, although there's, let me know what you think about this, because there's a juxtaposition to it in that, Every, every, even in industry, right? And sport, whatever industry you are, sports or whatever. um, My job, for example, was always to build a strong team. So if I ever left, there would be someone who can step into my shoes immediately. You know, that kind of transition. The other thing too, is that you have, if you have a really strong leader, like Wenger was, like Sir Alex Ferguson was, you know, American sports has had that a lot with long-tenured coaches. You don't want the identity of the club to just be tied to that one person, right? And I think towards the end, the, when is there as long as he is, of course that's going to happen. When Sir Alex Ferguson is there as long as he is, that's always going to happen. And I think it's important, look Pep, if Pep leaves City... It's a genuine question to say what would happen to Manchester City. They would have the money, they'd have the infrastructure, they'd have everything. But a manager of his ilk is not easy to replace. Now, maybe they'll come after Miguel Arteta, probably. Who knows? Patrick Vieira. Those things will happen. But as much as I like the backbone that he has right now and the strength that he has and that he is the face of the club, really, more than Saka, more than Jesus... He's the face of Arsenal, all or nothing was literally the Mikel Arteta show. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing or a or a great thing. I'm just saying that I hope that the power isn't too crazy in the sense that yes, let's continue to build. What worries me is if Manchester City do come calling one day or Barcelona and he goes, I hope that he has built an infrastructure and a backbone and a foundation where someone can come in and take over. Yeah, I I think... What's your thought on that?
0: I agree with you. I think that you... I think there's a really hard balance to find here because I feel like if you don't give a coach enough power in some situations, then they can't maximise their ability. So if you restrict Mikel Arteta in terms of the players that you sign, obviously there are limitations, right? We're Arsenal Football Club. We're not uh, funded by a state. We're not any of that. So there are limitations to what we can do in the transfer market. But if you impose restrictions on Mikel Arteta or you push back on him too much at board level, you are restricting his ability, I think, to achieve the maximum that he's capable of. So you need to find that balance between letting him do what he thinks is right, giving him that control, but also not creating, as you say, an environment whereby if he gets up and walks out, we're up shit street. And I think what you can do to to sort of protect yourself against that is be make sure that you're aligned in the transfer market. And what I mean by that is, you know, a signing like, let's take, for example, Ben White, okay, £50 million. People looked at that signing and went, £50 million is a hell of a lot of money. But you you kind of take a bit of a gamble because you say, okay, we are paying a lot of money, but can he justify that price tag over a period of time? He's technical, which is what the modern day defender needs to be. He's young, he's got uh, you know the the right profile, the right temperament. So I think the club have looked versatile. at some of those. Yeah, versatile, exactly. So I think the club have looked at some of these things and gone, well, if he ticks some of our boxes as well as your own, we'll we'll back you in this and we'll do that. You know, Gabriel Jesus, big investment again on a player that, of course, was what, 12 months left on his contract. A lot of people raised their eyebrows at that. Good player, but why would you pay nearly 50 million quid for someone who is in the final year of their contract? But again, Arsenal weighed it up. Well, he's 25. He's a proven winner. He's someone that's going to lead our line. And I think what you need to do is be on the same page so that the transfer decisions that you make Mm-hmm. Are transfer decisions that can benefit whoever comes in after the current manager and the recruitment strategy has to be the clubs, not the managers. And that I think yeah. we've got that at Arsenal. I really do. The priority yeah. now has to be tying down people like Saka, Martinelli, Saliba. Why? That's not to say we're never going to ever sell them. You know, there might come the day where one of them gets up and goes, I want to go to Barcelona. I want to go to Real Madrid. Right. If we're in the position where we can say, fine, you can go. But they've got a cough up 70, 80 million pounds. That protects us as a football club. And over the years, we've been so bad at doing that, we've had to watch key players walk away exactly for pennies.
1: And I think that's so you bring up um a couple of really good points there because I think that um investment, that transfer market alignment started last summer, right? And in in true form, I think, with Tommy and Benjamin. Who, by the way, is a, is an English player, and the market trans, you know the market demands more for an English player. Uh, Aaron Ramsdale, the same, and it felt like we weren't just panic buying, and we're actually building a team, and also we're becoming one of those clubs again where if he were to go, a manager can come in, play the same system, is really what we're talking about, right, Harry? is have a style and a philosophy that doesn't really change. It's like the playbook of a U.S. coach in the NFL, wherever he goes, it's his playbook. That's his style. A lower lower
0: level example of that would be Brighton, right? Who have recruited Mm -hmm. to play a certain style of football. Graham Potter's moved on and they've gone and found the manager who mirrors a lot of his values.
1: So yeah, the
0: club has to have the strategy. Exactly. Exactly.
1: So when I say that about Mikel is it, I guess part of it again is my fear. And this is what I want to see going forward a lot more. You know, that this season we actually acquired two players from Manchester City. We used to sell all our plays to Manchester City. You know, you lose Robin Van Persie to Manchester United, you lose go back to Ashley Cole and Chelsea, like losing your best players to Barcelona. And Finally, I was like, wow, look at us getting Jesus and Zinchenko. What an absolute bargain. What a steal. I couldn't believe it. I, I was like, wow, if this is really Arsenal turning a corner, majorly turning a corner. And I think that's the same thing with, I'm thinking of Mikel, with turning the corner and I just hope it lasts for a, a number of years because that's how success comes. You know, it's not going to happen overnight. And it's, it's something that... Definitely is a process, but now you've seen what he has to offer and how they can recruit, it's so important to keep that going and make sure that he's so happy, not to give him all the power, but enough that he's not his head's not turned by Manchester City or Barcelona in the next couple of couple of seasons. Because well, it's that, potentially that's, it's evil.
0: that's on the club, isn't it? To make sure that mm. if you know, because I look, I, I said After his first press conference as Arsenal manager, I remember sort of coming away from it blown away. I remember sitting there thinking this guy has literally, you know, lots of people were questioning whether it was the right appointment. And I think, you know, as you said, 12, 18 months into his tenure, you could still ask that same question. But I think I came away from that first press conference. And one of the reasons I've supported him so much was because I thought, this guy gets it. You know, all of the things that needed ripping up and throwing in the bin from Arsenal Football Club, have been identified by him from the off. And maybe it's going to take him a bit of time to get to the bottom of it and to resolve some of those issues. And we're now in a position where we look much better off. But I just, I look at clubs like Manchester City, right? Who have got funds, of course. I look at clubs like Chelsea, who have got funds, of course. I look at Paris Saint-Germain, another club, you know, with big funds. Mm -hmm. But these clubs, I'm sorry to say, they don't have a soul. They don't have a heart. This whole energy thing that Mikel Arteta is using to his advantage at the moment, whereby he sold the project to the fans. Now he's made the fans a big part of it. He uses their influence wherever possible. He builds around that. You don't get that at football clubs that aren't like Arsenal. You don't get that at clubs that aren't footballing institutions like this. Big football clubs with heart and soul. There are three of them in in this country that are of this sort of size. It's Manchester United, Liverpool and Arsenal. Tottenham have got a big fan base, fine, but they don't have the history of winning things. They don't have that, you know, that pedigree, in my opinion. There's lots of clubs with passionate fan bases, but Arsenal have passion, a huge fan base and pedigree. And so as long as, as a football club, we continue to match his ambition and provide him the tools he needs to progress his own mm-hmm. career as well. I don't see why he would get up and go, yeah, I'm going to go to Manchester City and, and play in front of an empty stadium to compete for the same titles that I can compete with for yeah. Arsenal. We keep I, moving.
1: I think he wants to emulate what Pep's doing at City, and I think he wants to emulate what Wenger did in his early years. And he looks at someone like Sir Alex Ferguson too. He's got he's a very ambitious young man, and he's still a young man, and he should be. He's talented. Yeah. Um, he's learned. Let's be honest, he's learned a lot baptism of fire there's a difference though between being doing big things in the premier league and being a big club and i've said this on our show a lot and i say it here and anyone who came here to the u.s tour can see arsenal football club probably have the biggest fan following in the united states um alongside barcelona real madrid uh and manchester united Right. Liverpool, Man United, they're big in Asia. I think we still got a lot of commercial uh, objectives that we need to achieve in some other markets. There's no doubt about that. But I think the thing people have mistaken over the years is because we haven't been doing big things in the Premier League, they don't see us as a big club anymore. And that is not the case at all. Liverpool was still a big club when they didn't win the Premier League for 30 years. Absolutely. Manchester City are a small club doing big things. Things and they 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 can't sell out Champions League games. Their atmosphere is not like the Emirates now. I mean, when I went to Old Trafford, they're, as grand as Manchester United are, they only started singing about seventy-five minutes into the game. You know, and I am not exaggerating that. So, I think what he's done in refueling the fans in that regard and making them care again. He is the players. Kev has always said this to me. We've got players we can fall in love with again. You can go into the armory and be confused as to which player's name to put on the back of your shirt. That hasn't happened in a long time. It hasn't. And, you know, collectively they've done this, and I completely concur. Arsenal are still a massive football club who have floundered in the league, even when we're in our darkest days and we're on our knees, Harry, won four FA Cups and we you know we're a cup team then now we want to become a premier league team again and i think that's the gap we have to bridge and we've lost a lot of respect and in order to gain back that respect you've got to do it in the premier league at least be competitive again which i think we've seen last season towards the end of last season for in spurts and this season especially
0: yeah absolutely and there was a really really interesting comment uh, here, which is, it goes back to the point I was making a little bit earlier on about how, uh, look, winning is, is top of the list, but also the way you do it will determine how many people sort of jump on and follow you as they're growing up and as they're watching football. And, and Mikey says, mm-hmm. we're massive due to Ball, and we fail to work with it. Now is the time. But that first bit, we are massive due to Ball. Stylistically, we were yes. so ahead of everybody else that we picked up fans all over the globe people used to say arsenal the team that they enjoyed watching and you know that's in stark contrast to in the years prior where we were called boring boring arsenal or you know even during the the sort of wenger fergie sort of rivalry we only won the league three times out of all those years mm-hmm. it's not a lot we didn't have the lion's share of it but we still managed to pick up following because of the way we play football and so that connection thing the style thing all of those things are relevant in terms of people connecting with your football club, how many people have connect, connected with Liverpool football club because of the passion around the football club, as opposed to them winning Premier League titles, which, mm-hmm. as you mentioned, they hadn't done for thirty years? So those things are important as well, and I think Mikel Arteta, at the moment, has got
1: sort of the right combination. Um, look, there can are. I, loads can I add one yeah. more bit before you move on? Yeah, that yeah. also is relevant to players. How many players? Look, Zinchenko in his Arsenal shirt. How many players wanted to join Arsenal because Thierry Henry played? How many players wanted to join because of X, Y, and Z? It also translated to players. And that equity still exists at Arsenal. And we've seen it this past uh, summer transfer window, Harry. Absolutely.
0: Indeed. Uh, Guys, I've seen loads of questions being thrown in throughout the... Uh, the duration of the show in the live chat box. Just hold on to them. Uh, we'll do sort of the last 10, 15 minutes on questions only. So hold fire on them so that they don't get lost and we'll, we'll come back to them. Um, we've kind of, we started off on can Arsenal win the league. I think we both agree that it's unlikely at this stage. But as you said, so it's just nice to be able to dream, to be able to kind of feel that hope again. But one player I wanted to talk to you about in particular was, um, was Bukayo Saka, because I think, He has received some criticism at the start of this season. And I think because Arsenal are winning, you know, maybe in some people's eyes, this criticism has maybe gone under the radar a little bit. But I've heard it quite a bit. I've come across it quite a bit. It's not like toxic stuff like he's shit, get him out of the team and all of this. But I think there's a general feeling among a lot of people that he's not playing at his absolute maximum at the moment. And that because we've got the talent of Jesus and Martinelli, I think has really stepped it up this season. We're kind of getting through. But I mean, imagine if he can get back to the top of his game as well. First of all, do you think he has been a little bit below the level we've come to expect? And why?
1: So I felt that maybe he wasn't at his best in a few games um, this season. And I I found it... I was flawed when Kevin and I saw the game totally differently against uh, Manchester United. I thought he was really poor in the first half against United. Uh, but... And only because he had the beating of... Um, who's the young guy at left back, Harry? I'm having a bit of a brain fart. Uh, Malassia. Malassia. He absolutely destroyed Malassia. Completely. But there was no end product. So for me... If I've criticised Saka, which you have to navigate around very carefully, because he is a player who saved us for the last two seasons without him, and I don't, I'm not sure where we would have been. And for him to have taken on the baton of leadership as well has been incredible. What has always worried me about Saka is expecting too much of him, the same way we did like Fabregas and Wilshire. Yeah, and 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 putting too much stress and pressure on him, but he took that on really well. Was absolutely a star among more experienced players who were so apathetic, it was just tough to watch at times. Saka is a very important player to this football club, not only from the fact that he can become a world-class player. He has a lot of talent. He is integral to the England setup now too. He is beloved. He's marketable. Opposing fans can't hate him. I mean, he's just this kind of gem of a player that comes around generationally. However, we shouldn't enable him. We should expect greatness from him. And he's not immune to criticism. Just like I felt, Mikel Arteta was not immune to criticism when he would screw up. And I would get it in the air. That's fine. My criticism of Saka Harry sometimes put your laces through the boot, through the ball, the shot. It's always on the tippy toe of the inside of the left foot. I want to see him evolve a little bit more in that regard. Like sometimes just smash it in the back of the net. Sometimes pass it a little bit quicker. Same with Martinelli a little bit. Look up more. Get that. Don't try and be the hero all the time. And I think because he's had to be the hero for two seasons, he is transitioning and adapting as well. I don't want Saka to be the hero every game. I love the fact that we've been able to lean on all these new players. Look at the strength and depth in the team now. What a beautiful thing that this young player doesn't have to have the weight of the world on his shoulders. So for me, I think he's transitioning in his own game based on the fact that he doesn't have to do it all. And maybe that's going to take a little bit of time to get used to.
0: Yeah, I I think that too. I think that in the sort of first few games of the season, I felt like he was a little bit reluctant to commit players. Like he was a little bit reluctant to sort of take someone on in the way that he would have done quite happily Mm. last season. But one of my big criticisms of Arsenal as a team last season was that we were too reliant on him, Emile Smith-Rowe. And that was I was saying at the start of the season that that was ultimately going to cost us because those guys, as good as they are at their age, at the stage they're at in their careers, cannot be relied upon solely to drag us over the line in the way that Gabriel Jesus can, who's 25 years old, who's been there, who's done it, who's won it all, who's seen it all. It's it's, it's completely different. And so, yeah, I I don't think that Saka's been bad. I think there's been a couple of games where I've wanted to see a little bit more from him but I think the focus in a lot of ways has is, is sort of been on him because of how good he was last season. And mm-hmm. teams are probably marking him out of the game. And as a consequence of that, I, you know, you can say the same, I think, for Odegaard in some of the games we played this season. I thought in the North London derby, he was good, but he wasn't as influential as he normally is because Spurs did a job on him. But you mm-hmm. do a job on Odegaard nowadays. Granite Xhaka would just step into that half space on the other side and cause you damage too. So we have Mm -hmm. those options. And so naturally the individual impact of one or two players is going to be reduced as a consequence of that.
1: I thought he was, I thought Saka's second half against Spurs was some of his best football I've seen him play this season. And what I liked and what I like seeing too, it happened even with the, the, some of the crap we had under Emery, there was this second half arsenal thing going on, right? A little bit under him. Um, Martinelli and Saka I didn't think were that impactful in the first half. I thought they were great. I thought they were good, sorry. But in the second half, I just felt they played more intelligent football. They played smarter football. And that to me shows that at halftime, and we've seen it in the show, of course, the talking that's going on, the adjustments that are going on. I mean, these players are really young. They've played a lot of football. And I loved seeing how they both came out second half. Totally did. I don't know if I'm. if you think I'm... I'm overly emphasising that, Harry, but I, I felt think... they both came out stronger. <laughs> ha- um, Vinny agrees with me.
0: <laughs> I think they were a lot more aggressive in the second half. So I sort of watched the game back the next day and sort of did my my breakdown on it. And I did uh, a piece of content yesterday for our members, which you can find, by the way, great time to plug it, uh, over on anotherslice.com. So if you head over to slice.com. Uh, com You can subscribe to the podcast uh, and from that pot we'll be making a monthly donation to the Great Ormond Street Children's Hospital as well. Uh, so you won't just be supporting the podcast, but you'll be supporting a charity uh, that is very close to my heart as well and I'm sure many others. But the piece of content that we put out yesterday uh, for our premium members was um, the importance of Thomas Partey, but also um, patience. And I thought that Arsenal displayed quite a bit of patience in that first half, in that when Martinelli or Saka got the ball in those wide areas, they would be understanding of the fact that if they just put it in the box early, the likes of Eric Dyer would be quite happy to just head that away. And so they had to think again. And then you saw that pattern of play that led to, to Thomas Partey's goal. Saka inside to White, White inside to Partey. So I think they were a little bit less aggressive. I think they were worried about giving the ball away too cheaply, maybe worried about Spurs on the transition. And I think they were instructed to go out there and be a little bit more, I don't know what the word is, responsible with possession than they normally are. And I felt Mm -hmm. like in the second half, Mikel Arteta maybe took the shackles off a bit because the second goal came off the back of Saka doing exactly what he wasn't really doing in the first half, which was committing a man, taking him on, coming inside him, having a shot. And the same with Martinelli. I thought when he got the ball in the wide areas, on the left in the second period, he was much more inclined to attack the byline. So mm. I do think there was a difference between their first and second half performances for sure. I agree with you on that.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think Saka is at all costs, we have to sign Saka. And by all indications, it seems that's happening, Harry. I mean, there's the talk of the 250 being banded around. And I mean, he's 21 years old, but. You have to sign, you have to make this deal and you have to make it fast.
0: Um... Yeah. And I think it will happen. I think he'll sign. Arsenal are on an upward trajectory. I don't see why he wouldn't sign as long as the money's right. But I also think that, again, you know, we talk a lot about squad size, don't we? Mm -hmm. And I think a part of sort of wanting this smaller squad size, which is something that Arteta has been quite clear on, I think, in terms of the hints he's dropped is A, because he, he finds it easier to keep a smaller squad engaged. Obviously, there yeah. are risks that come with that when you pick up a number of injuries. But also because I think the club would prefer to spend wages on sure things rather than what they've done in the past, which is have a really overinflated wage bill overall. But that's not because there was a couple of outstanding earners. It's because there were lots of earners, like Ser Kalasinach, to name an example, who were on mm. 100 grand a week. So, you know, you've got to balance that all out as well. I think that's really important.
1: Yeah, it's, um, to me, it feels like also, is he waiting to see if we qualify? Um, look, falling out of the top four would be disastrous this season. And I don't, I'm not trying to be negative here, anybody. I'm just talking about scenarios. Are Saliba and Saka looking for Champions League guarantees here?
0: I mean, that's Maybe. possible. Yeah, I think with Saka, that's probably the case. I think with Saliba, I think he's probably been up until this point reluctant to put pen to paper because he didn't really know what his role was going to be. Obviously, what had happened in the past maybe gave him reasons to believe that he wasn't trusted, um, that he wasn't seen as part of the long-term plan. That's, I think, been disproven based on how much he's played this season. And ultimately, Saliba now, given the way things panned out, He's in a bit of a power position, isn't he? Because oh, he's yeah. come in and he's gone, you know what? I'm much better than you ever gave me credit for. <laughs> I don't think he's as black and white as that. I think that Arsenal knew that he needed another season. I don't think this Saliba is the Saliba we'd have seen at the start of last season. I think he's come on a long way playing. I always say this, playing at a big club like Marseille where there's a lot of pressure, there's a lot of scrutiny. It conditions you for the environment at Arsenal. So I think Saliba is now in a place though where his stock is high. He knows it. And until he's 100% sure that he's part of the long-term plan, which I'm sure he understands now, then he wasn't going to commit. But given he's played so well, he can probably push back and negotiate and argue terms that you yeah. know, suit him down to a T.
1: It's a little, you know, again, it's one of those giveth and taketh away. Like as an Arsenal fan, you just see, like having someone like him knowing we'll have someone like him for the next however many years, what a dream scenario to lose him. I mean, again, I, I mean, a, a player who can be world-class, if if not right now has exemplified moments of having world-class abilities. And I just think that's the type of player you build a team around that spine. You've got Saliba, you've got Partey. You've got Jesus, you've got Saka, you've got Martinelli, you've got Odegaard. You know Imagine building even more so around those players, Harry. It's, yeah, absolutely. I'd, I don't want to be afraid that they'll take they'll take that away, but that's football, sometimes it happens.
0: Well, that's part of being that's part of running the club properly though, isn't it? As well. Mm-hmm. We talk a lot about players coming in. Also being able to retain people um is just yep. as important. But ultimately, if you're winning on the pitch, that job becomes a lot easier. I always think, Only does, yeah. you know, money is one part of it, but aspiration ambition is another part of it as well. And unfortunately in recent years, we've not always been able to match that people like Robin Van Persie, you know, he left the club because he wanted to go and win the, the league. I don't for a second think that Arsenal couldn't afford to keep him at the club financially or that he was motivated solely by money. I think there are others that have been in the past, um, yeah. but that's just an example of someone who I think if, if the football was at the level required, the contract stuff, the negotiations around salary, money, fees, whatever, I think all of that would have been far easier. And so if you get number one right, then you've got to get a chance of achieving exactly. number two.
1: And there's a difference between Robin Van Persie's rationale for leaving versus Adibayor, you know, yeah, oh. or or even a Nasri.
0: Yeah, and but again, going going back to that period, I think that, you know, Adibayor's been quite vocal in saying that Arsenal wanted to sell him. And and that might have been the case, given what was going on with the new stadium and the finance. We just don't know. Yeah. But I think with the club being in a much better place, and listen, we've got to give KSE some credit here. We have to. Like I've never been a massive fan of theirs in the past, but you can't deny, if this works out with Mikel Arteta, and we do go on to achieve incredible things, how can you deny that They've got it right. You can't.
1: I got a lot of stick um with Kev for doing a show on the Cronkies and kind of standing up for them in terms of illustrating the timeline of ownership and talking about the board a little bit. And uh I think that you can't argue with what they've done, you, you know, lately. And they're supporting the man. We've always said just invest in the team, support the manager. It's happening, you know, and I know it's different, Premier League versus U.S. sports, but they've won three championships this year and I truly think Arsenal's their next frontier. I think Josh is definitely into that. And you saw him on the show, and of course it's PR and stuff like that, but they're here for the long haul. There's no doubt about it. And they want to do it again this year with the Rams here. You know, they want to repeat with the Avalanche. They've got the Denver Nuggets rolling. uh, Could have won an NBA championship over the last few years. Didn't work out there. Their lacrosse team won the national championship this year. They know how to win. They're businessmen and their business is sports and real estate. And they win. That's all they do is win. Yeah, no,
0: absolutely. I'm willing to give them a chance. As long as Arsenal keep performing on the pitch. That's all I care really. about. I don't care what they do in their spare time. I don't care if they never watch Arsenal in their lives. As long as Arsenal winning and as long as Arsenal are performing. And they so won't it's...
1: give up on Mikel Arteta either. If anyone yeah. thinks if we don't qualify for the... Ch- Listen, I don't know, but I'm pretty sure that if we miss out, I think they'll stick with Arteta. Don't think they'll give up on him. N- I think it depends.
0: I, I think it depends on how we missed out if we did. Like, I think when you're talking about football, like, a lot of things are decided on such fine margins. Like, you can have one-off day away from home, get beaten, and that can ultimately cost you. You can miss out on goal difference. You can miss out on a point. And all of these things, like, yes, of course, ultimately the manager is responsible for them. But can you always p- pin
1: that 100% on the manager? I don't know. Look, I feel they're, like f- They're, they're ruthless, Harry, right? They took a team out of St. Louis and... Really destroyed part of a community that was relying and reliant on, you know, 16 games every year. Boom. This is my community economy, right? But to be at that position, you've got to be ruthless. I've seen them not be as ruthless with the, their young manager, Sean McVay, at the Rams. They believed in him. He lost, he won, he delivered the Super Bowl last season. I think that when they have this plan and these objectives and this strategy, they'll stick with it for a, a period and then maybe eventually be ruthless. But I don't know. I Are you saying if we finish sixth, maybe something like that, right? If it ends up being a disastrous kind of season like that? Yeah, yeah.
0: then I think that, you know, they, they have to ask the question and they have to consider it. I think if I'm not saying, look, if we miss out on the top four, for me, this season's been a failure.
1: 100%. No question
0: about it. Last year, I didn't expect us to finish in the top four. We were on the cusp of achieving something more than I thought we were capable of. In the end, we fell short. But this season, there's no excuse. He's been backed again. And this is the time now to get us back into the Champions League. And if we don't, I promise I'll be the first person to sit here and say that we failed. But if we missed out by a point or two points, do I think that KSE would automatically pull the trigger on Mikel Arteta? No, I don't. But if we were to fall from grace in a really dramatic way over a long period of time where there was clearly something wrong and something that the manager had multiple opportunities to address, then I think that the situation is different. Yeah, You know, there's people say like we had that three game sort of uh, losing streak at the back end of last season, which ultimately cost us. People always talk about the defeat at Spurs and they talk about the defeat at Newcastle. For me, The crime last season was those three games against Brighton, Palace and Southampton. That was it for me. That was where we lost it. And so I think, you know, you've got to look at the reasons. And so those three games plus the injuries, you know, it was a lot deeper than just Mikel Arteta getting the team wrong on on one week or or a couple of weeks. Mm. So, yeah, interesting to see. Look, Let's take some of your questions uh, for the last sort of eight, nine minutes or so. Uh, Start throwing them in the chat box. Pop a queue at the beginning of them because it really does help me uh, to pick them out. Uh, So while people are doing that, just let people know uh, how they can follow you. uh, What's coming up on the Highbury squad. Yeah, uh, at Highbury
1: squad uh, across all social media um, and tomorrow shows no live show today. Sorry, um, but there will be we'll be back with a bang tomorrow. We've got Liverpool legend Stevie Nicol on to talk Liverpool and Arsenal with us. So, yeah, give us a follow over there and come check it out. We have a great interview with Paul Davis that we did a few weeks ago. If you've missed that, that's an evergreen um, show that you can listen to if you want to know a little bit more about the history of Arsenal and you're a new fan or an old fan who wants to get nostalgic, Harry.
0: Nice one. Make sure you check it out, people. Uh, if you click on the link in the title of this video, it will take you straight to the hybrid Squad page. Make sure you subscribe, make sure your notifications are Are turned on. Uh, Of course, leave a like on this video if you're watching us in YouTube, uh, whether you're live or whether you're watching this back a little bit later on. And if you're listening on the audio platforms, uh, then please do leave us a review as well. Okay, let's get some of these questions. Um, Tired Ganosaurus says, Soph, Harry should have a segment on Greek cooking (laughs) unless it's a barbecue." I have not got a clue. I don't know if you're any better, Sophie. You better. I'm sure you are.
1: Um, I can make really good Kyofdehers, uh, but I'm determined to set up this Suvla challenge with you, my cousin George and Jack Wilshire. I'm hoping that we get that done finally this summer, this coming summer.
0: Yeah. Let's do it. I'm all for it. That would make a great piece of content as well. We we have to bring our own uh our own barbecue set and and basically be in a triangle (laughs) and compete. I think that would be amazing. Uh, Big shout out to uh, Lynn as well. Lynn says, do you feel that because we've made great progress this season so far, it will be inevitable that Arteta will make more signings in January to complete our season and guarantee us a minimum of top four? Do you think we're going to go? I don't think we're going to go big in January. I think we're going to look at a midfielder. I think we're going to try and get that done. But I don't expect there to be an avalanche of business unless we're forced into it. Based on something that maybe happens at the World Cup or something
1: like that, I don't know. You said what something you said. key a few minutes ago about him wanting a tight squad. The reason why I th- I felt our business was done um, early in the transfer window was because of that. I think we dipped in late because we had injuries that we weren't, you know, that were that came too soon. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I think the World Cup is going to overinflate price- prices in January, and I don't think Arsenal are going to be held prisoner by anyone on that.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, Trev says, uh, forget the title for now. What about us finishing second? How likely is. is that?
1: It's a better question. Well done. <laughs> I think we've got every chance. Look, Man United are in transition. Liverpool are in transition. Chelsea, the same. Um, you know, Tottenham, I think, you know, will find ways to win games because of their front two, especially. I think we have every opportunity to finish in second this season because of those things?
0: I think we do, but I think it's really hard to know how the season's going to pan out and, and to kind of hang your hat on this. And the reason I say that is because, you know, if Arsenal got into a position where top four was pretty much nailed on and Mm. had the opportunity to shift their focus to the Europa League, I wouldn't mind going and winning the Europa League and finishing fourth ahead of second, if that makes sense. I think sometimes you get to the latter stages of the season and you've got to prioritise. And if you can win the Europa League and still be in the top four, whether you're fourth or second to me, isn't all that important. That's just my take on it. You
1: threw the Europa League nugget in and Harry Simeu, I agree with you 100%. I want to win trophies and I would take that all day long, 100%.
0: I don't remember the last time Arsenal won a European trophy. I was too young. So 90, me,
1: well, in the early nineties. Um, yeah, for with me, Evans, Smudger,
0: and exactly, it's it's not something I've experienced. So that's right at the top of my priority list this season. Uh, let's take this one from Jid. Uh, seeing as the only guaranteed starters for their national teams heading to the World Cup are Tommy, Jacker, and Partey, how do you see that affecting mentalities of players who are on the bench or aren't selected?
1: I was on a show with Tom Canton yesterday and I thought he made a really good point. I think Martinelli will be crushed if he doesn't go to the World Cup. And he mentioned how it's different for Brazilians in that. I mean, it's religion, right? Yeah. Is Benjamin White going to be crushed that he doesn't go to the World Cup? I think he'll be bummed. But I think it will give any of our players who don't go fuel to play even better. And I personally, I don't know why, Harry, this World Cup, I'm a little, I'm, I'm not, I mean, I'm not saying I'm not into it. I just think the timing of it, the way it's all come about, the, the just the invasion of our regular, you know, we're creatures of habit, us football fans, when it comes to our football season. I just think our players will react really well to not going. Uh, if, they're, if they're not going, I think they'll react really well in terms of how they play for our club. But I think that the one that concerns me if I'm going to pick a player is Martinelli.
0: Yeah, because he's still at at that kind of enthusiastic stage of his career where, you know, you can tell he gives it his all every time and it, it will probably feel like a slap in the face if he was left out. But if he continues to play the way he's playing now, I don't see how he can be left out. I don't see how Jesus can be left out. I don't see how Gabriel can be left out. If I'm being completely honest, their omission from the squad last time out I don't think was an indication of what the coach is planning to do. I think it was an opportunity for him to look at some other players. Mm -hmm. And I think he took that opportunity. And I think there probably would have been conversations behind the scenes between him and those players to kind of communicate that. Um, You know, I think he would have made the point that this doesn't mean you're not in the squad. It means that I want to look around and, and, you know, that's ultimately what England should have been doing really. Instead of picking people like Harry Maguire, who we know what they're all about. Even, I mean, listen, I I don't care if England win or or if England don't win. It honestly doesn't bother me in the slightest. I couldn't care less, but Harry Kane, you know what you're going to get from Harry Kane. So Mm -hmm. why call Ivan Tony up to the squad, for example, and then not give him a chance? What did you bring him there for?
1: It's terrible uh, that you do that to the psyche of the player as well.
0: Yeah. it, It doesn't make sense to me. Like, Whatever Harry Kane did in those two UEFA Nations League matches was going to make no difference to Gareth Southgate when he came to picking his squad. So it's just, I know it was the last set of fixtures, but you know what you're going to get from him. He's been in the setup for a long time. I think a lot of managers used it as an experimental international break, except for England. And so we're conditioned (laughs) to think that, oh, well, if they weren't in the squad for Brazil, It means they're not going to be in there going into the World Cup. I don't think that's...
1: Selfishly, I mean, I don't want to stifle the growth of a player, but selfishly as an Arsenal fan, I would love it if you were sitting at home for a month.
0: Yeah, me too. I'd love it if they were all at home. Yep. Sitting in the warm. Lovely. Having a great Um, coffee. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Let's take one more question uh, from Wes Bird, who says, are you both still concerned about the lack of depth in the defensive midfield position? especially as work event, she refers to party, uh, is so fragile on the injury front. Uh, We had a joke on the show that we were (laughs) calling him work event after the government (laughs) were having parties and classing them as work events. Um, I'm concerned about this because I think he's so, so important. And I'm sorry to say it, but I still think the drop off between him and Lokonga is, is significant and the type that could, I don't want to say derail us because I don't even think Lukonga is that bad, but it could significantly reduce our level as a side. I hope we'll try and address it in January. Um, what's your take on this?
1: 100%. It's the biggest concern and it is significant. You know, if Partey plays in that Man United game, we win that game. And I don't, I, I think there's certain plays that bring a certain confidence to a side and it's important for them to be in the side. Our first 11 is our best, and you lose one or two. We saw last season, as I said at the top of the show, it's brutal. Him in particular is proving to be a world-class midfielder. Everything goes through him. He's the engine. He's like the, I said on the show the other day. I think the, the heartbeat, all of the veins and everything that pumps out, you know, He is great, as I love seeing the resurgence of Xhaka, but Xhaka's able to be him because of Thomas Partey. He's not able to be that Xhaka when Sambi's playing in midfield. You lose this essence. The drop-off is huge. Benjamin White now at right-back. The drop-off, I think, is quite significant with Tommy, as we know right now, because Tommy's got to earn the right to get back into that position. Zinchenko and Tierney, what's the drop-off like? Defensively, probably Tierney's superior. But overall, Zinchenko technically is just brilliant. Positionally, I think he needs to be a bit careful sometimes of what he's added to the team. And again, what allows Xhaka to do, um, what he allows Xhaka to do is incredible. Link up with Martinelli, amazing. So I think in other positions, Harry, we can get by. But one is very tough. You take two or three out, it's a disaster, I think, for us yeah. still because we're not at that level yet we we can't plug in players like city do we just can't it's uh it's not that easy i don't know what you think about united's depth and tottenham and chelsea and stuff like that but do they have more world class players maybe
0: it's I- hard to say cuz like you look at united i i don't think they've got that much depth i mean you look at their center backs now varane and martinez are doing okay at the moment obviously got absolutely pummeled at the weekend by city but outside of that, they'd been on a pretty decent run. But you take away and then you end up with Harry Maguire, people that, a player that I don't particularly rate. Have they got cover at right back? I don't really think so. I don't even know that Dallow is good enough. You move into midfield and, you know, they brought Casemiro in, but he can't seem to get a game. And then you're talking McTominay and Fred. The Imagine two that...
1: playing McTominay over Casemiro. It's mad,
0: isn't it? It's mad. Like... <laughs> And then you look at their front line, particularly in the centre-forward position, Ted Hags made it clear he doesn't really fancy Ronaldo in that position. And it's Martial who is in and out of form, Rashford in and out of form. There, there is They're, they're lacking for sure. You even look at Tottenham. I mean, some of the players, Matt Doherty came on the other day. We spoke earlier about the comments that mm-hmm. Antonio Conte made. They've signed some players that don't seem to get a look in Jed Spence. Why did he bring in Jed Spence? He, well, in fact, he said it wasn't him. It was the club. So, you know, I, I think that we do maybe make too much of this depth thing in our mm. own heads because we were obsessed with achieving stuff mm-hmm. and obsessed with getting better. But as someone pointed out in the chat earlier, there isn't a side in the league who wouldn't be weakened if they lost key players. I mean, take Erling Haaland out of Manchester City. Take Kevin De Bruyne out of that Manchester City side. Yes, they've got replacements, but no one's at their level. That what they yeah. them two are producing. So
1: well, they won the league without Haaland, but yeah, you, yeah, yeah. You, but they
0: they've lost players as well, haven't they? They moved yes. Sterling on. Jesus has gone. Um, so yeah, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? It's an interesting debate. I feel like we overplay. I don't know if overplay is the right word, but we obviously worry about it more than the outside world, and so yeah. it feels a bigger maybe. deal than it maybe is.
1: I think I think like Fabio Vieira looks like a good option. You can come on, you know. Yeah, I really like it. The, the, the Marquinhos as well has got this ball of energy that it's like, man, the dude's gonna just explode at any point. He's got so much energy. But it's the, the the point is, is that if a player's out for four, five, six weeks, can players who aren't up to speed yet with the Premier League or haven't played as much be that consistent over that period of time? And I just think we're not quite yeah there, there yet with some of these players. I just yeah, don't think we are, but it doesn't mean they can't come in and do a good job. Um, being sub 20 minutes to go, isn't it lovely to see Odegaard come off and get a rest? And yeah, I think that's a good that's the positive part about
0: it. And also, as well, going back to that smaller squad point, the decision to take Partey off at the weekend, for example, right? I know that he was a doubt going into the game, he had a, a knee issue whilst on in international duty, he was playing the game with a knee brace on as well. I know there was question marks around his fitness and I'm, I'm sure that played a part in Mikel Arteta taking him off with, I think it was 17 or 18 minutes to go. But how much confidence does that breathe into someone like Lakonga? Because essentially, although the game was, you know, pretty comfortable at that point, you as a manager are saying to Lekonga, you're good enough. You're good enough to mm-hmm. come on and help us protect what we've got in a North London derby. It doesn't get much bigger than that. And we I- trust you. To come on and replace him, we trust Fabio Vieira to come on, and I think this is another important part about the keeping everybody engaged thing. You know, not having people that know there's no chance they're ever going to get on at any point. And when you probably you can, learned,
1: you probably learned seeing that from Pep,
0: hundred percent, hundred percent, that he would have had an incredibly difficult task. I know people mock it and say, "Well, look, you know, he's got all the best players; it's it's easy for him." Managing that is not as straightforward as people make it no, out.
1: It's not. And can I just say, like, Samby I think, was a bit of the fall guy at Old Trafford and unfairly so. I think there was a, I think, you know, as much as I've loved and I've lauded him, Zinchenko had a hiccup. You know, Jacka had a hiccup. Our back line had a couple hiccups. We played very high. I mean, it, I think when I saw him play against Villa, I thought he did really well. Yeah, but did. when I saw him play when I was in England, um, I thought, I think that when he's been asked to come in this season, he's done his job. And one of the problems with Arsenal is that we've had players in the past who just can't even do their job, let alone you know be part of a system and a team and a tactical plan on a, on a game day. So, yeah, I think that point is the more he comes into games like that too, North London Derby, you play for 20 minutes, just do your job. And you'll play again, son.
0: Yeah, That's absolutely. It. Indeed, 100%. And I agree with you about the Old Trafford thing. I mean, a lot was made of lacongas involvement, let's say, in, in us sort of losing the game. But for me, we were caught high up the pitch. The back line weren't switched on. The passes shouldn't have been as straightforward as they were. And ultimately, it was a lack of efficiency in the attacking third that cost yes. us that game. Because the amount of ball we had, the amount of times we got into those areas and couldn't make enough of it that that's on on the forward players as well it's easy to point at the conga but you know really the 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 wider collective i thought was um was responsible for that i
1: still haven't been able to wash that game off harry
0: no me neither but when you come back and because the game after that obviously we were due to play everton weren't we Mm -hmm. and then that was postponed Um, And then the game after was Brentford. And then to go and win away convincingly like that kind of helped me get over it quite quickly. Um, I did miss a super chat. So I'm just going to go back and find it. Here it is uh, from the Fort Lauderdale Gunner Craig. hope you're well, Craig. Apologies for missing that first time around mate. The chat is going off so much that if we get deep into the conversation, I do sometimes lose track of it. He says, Harry and Soph, hope you're both well. Two of my favorites. Thank you so much, mate. Uh, Soph, next time you're in Florida. Come watch with the Fort Lauderdale Gooners.
1: I would love to do that. I watched the game with the LA group uh, at the weekend, and that was nuts. Uh, Love uh, the Arsenal America groups. They're amazing. And I hope that you're safe and sound um, from Hurricane Ian. And every Gooner out there in Florida is safe and sound too. Sending lots of love to everybody. Um, and if you are in Philly, maybe next week, I uh, hope to see you at the NBC Premier League Fan Fest. So, any Philly Gooners, um, hit us up and, and let us know, uh, because uh, I'll be going out there
0: as well. So, it would be fun. How far is that from where you are? Is that a long way?
1: That's about a five and a let's, let's see, maybe flight to Cyprus from London, <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> five hours. Wow, maybe five and a half. Cause it's six and a six and something to New York. So five, five, five and a half hours.
0: Mad to think that like the USA is one country when it's actually like a it's continent. Massive. Crazy, massive. crazy. I'm sure Lovely. there's going to be
1: an American goon to correct me on the flight time in chat, <laughs> yeah. but that's all right. For
0: sure. For sure. Um Guys, thank you so, so much for tuning in. Really, really appreciate it. My thanks uh to Sophie as well for giving up your time and joining us. I know you're super busy as well. I'll do this salute as well (laughs) uh, in honour of the Highbury squad. Make sure you check out the Highbury squad. The link is in the title. Head over there. Turn your notifications on. Soph's already mentioned a great show they've got coming up very soon with uh, Liverpool legend Stevie Nicol, as well as Soph and Casey as well. Looking ahead to that big game coming up at the weekend. If Arsenal beat Liverpool, can we dare to dream? I don't know. I'm going to keep my feet on the ground for, for now, but it's certainly a nice position to be in we'll catch you all very soon until next time take care goodbye i'm martin tyler and you're listening to harry Simeon.